Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Living Courageously Exposed, hosted by Big Inside Out Adventures and yours truly, Jennifer J. Saunders and friends, Tommy J. Today I have with me another new intriguing person who um, I came in contact with, had a conversation with, and just had to introduce her to you. Her name is Jeannie Simon. She currently lives in Atlanta. She is a content developer. She's produced and written shows for Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, ABC, Animal Planet, Turner Broadcasting, and more. Later on in the show, we're going to tell you about her do-it-yourself TV pitch kit and what you can do to work with Jeannie and get your TV ideas, make them a reality. So Jeannie, are you there? I am here. Yay! Yay! I know. So Jeannie is already warmed up to go. She just told me she played four hours of tennis. I was a little bit green with envy. <laughs> but she she's ready to go. So Jeannie, let's just hop right in and, and tell us a little bit about you as a younger person, what your dreams and aspirations were, and how in the world did you get to where you are today? Well, I started out wanting to be a newscaster. So... Awesome. So I, I went to Tulane University, and I was an English and communications major. And then I graduated, got my first job um, outside St. Louis in a small town called Cape Girardeau. Well, and say that again. Say that name again. Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Cape, okay, Cape Girardeau. Gotcha. Right. And basically, in my interview, once I said that I knew how to run a camera and edit they made me news director, so I was uh, kind of thrown into the mix. Right, but really quickly. It was really quick. It was a very small station, small town, but boy, did I learn a lot. Holy moly. You know, yeah. I learned just to say yes, knowing or, or at least hoping I would figure it out. Ah, oh, I love that, to say yes and, and trust that you can figure it out, because I think there's a lot of people probably live in the same way I do. Right. And not to say I didn't make mistakes. I did. But boy, did I learn a lot. Well, I learned about the news business and I learned and I was there maybe a year. But by the end of that year, I knew I did not like the news business. Oh, okay. So I, I have a question in regard to that. What what made you decide you wanted to do um, have these newscaster dreams in the first place? Like where did that start for you? I don't know. You know what? That's a good question. That was a long time ago, but I guess I, you know, grew up watching the news and, you know, I watched 60 Minutes with my parents and things like that. Okay. So I think for me, that was just um, like a way to get into the TV business. That was the way that seemed the most maybe accessible to me. Gotcha. Okay, so it was like a stepping stone for you, like for your bigger dreams, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yes, that's okay. right. Exactly. Okay, so, so after a year at Cape Girardeau, being the, the news, did you say the news director? Yeah, I was the news director. <laughs> that's awesome. You, you discover you don't like being in the news. So, yeah. So what are some of the things, before we move on, what are some of the things that you did learn there besides uh, saying yes and knowing that you could figure it out? What were some of the aha moments and like, oh my gosh, I can take this and move forward? Well, one of the things that we did was we did a one hour live special about um, drinking and driving. So I was the producer and the talent on that show. And we did really well with that show. And I found that Live television was really exciting and fun. I loved, you know, that probably more than anything got me hooked into the TV and film business. Uh, it was such an adrenaline rush. I loved it. Now, what what about that? Like, because some people will be like, oh, oh, heck no. It, not if it, especially not if it's live. But what did you love about it? Um, it kind of felt like living on the edge a little bit because it was just me, only me. I had, I think I had a, I think I had one or two guests on, but it was primarily me in front of the camera. So, you know, I had to get it right and it, and we got really good ratings and it kind of caught the attention of some of the other news directors in town. So it went really well. 
so you if i'm here you kind of like that not having things scripted out just kind of learning to go with the flow trust your intuition and create magic like as it's happening yeah yeah exactly and it was like i said the energy the the adrenaline rush like after the after the hour i don't think i went to bed that night i was so hyped up wow that sounds now please tell me you weren't in a vehicle <laughs> right and i didn't drink and drive okay, either thank you thank you just in case we have any listeners out there who might have a little to breathe and rest at ease <laughs> No, no body parts were hurt during the film. Right. No, that's exactly right. No one was harmed in the making of that show. <laughs> that's cool. Okay, so you learned that you love uh, live television after this drinking and driving special. Um, then what? Well, so I left that job, then I went back to St. Louis, which is where I'm from. And I worked for a small production company. And they did a little bit of everything, like commercials, political spots. Um, we also produced uh, big live events. So again, that was all really fun. And I realized if I'm going to really make a go of this, I need to move to LA. Ah, okay. So that, and when I was 20, I guess I was 27. Yeah, I was 27. You know, I was not married, no kids. I really no ties in St. Louis. So I just packed up and moved to LA. Wow, that's that's uh, brave. Did you have yeah. did you have a job to go to, or were you just like putting all the chips in and taking that that risk and that chance? Well, get this. Not only did I not have a job, <laughs> when I arrived, the writer strike hit. Oh, wow! Ouch. <laughs> so there was precious little production going on. Okay, uh, that's kind of a big hurdle at 27 and single yeah. and kind of like a, uh, what next? <laughs> like now what? How did you, how did you like maintain composure or um, excitement about what you're doing when that's to get there and that's what, what greets you? Well, it was a little scary and there was like very low budget non-union production going on. Okay. So here's what I did. After a few interviews, I realized I need an LA credit. Like no one was really taking me seriously with all my St. Louis stuff. Right. So I ended up working for free on a uh, commercial. Uh, and then that led to some other work on commercials, but I really wanted to get into film and TV. So I got an entry level job just as a, you know, as a PA. So somebody who drives around and gets stuff basically. Okay. okay. But that with that, so, so because I worked for free, I got a couple credits. I was able to get on this low budget movie and that really kind of paved the way for me because I was making a little money meeting people and I got another good credit. So it was just kind of like little by little. I, um, I started making connections and working more steadily. So you talk about these credits. Are these are these credits kind of like the paying your dues, um, getting making connections? Excuse me, people seeing your name or seeing that you're out doing things. Is that kind of what these credits are? Yeah, you know. So when you work on any project, that's called a credit. Okay. So. And of course, you have some sort of a job title, whether it's production assistant or producer, editor, you know, whatever, whatever role you play. Mm -hmm. And in our business, credits mean a lot more than education. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Because, because it shows experience. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, nobody cared I went to Tulane. <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you went where? <laughs> I went to Tulane in New Orleans. Right, right. You know, which is a notable school, but in my industry, they were, they were like, well, that's fine, but what have you worked on? Gotcha. And 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 when you don't have that credit, like, because there's probably going to be people out there who are brand new uh, wanting to get into this same kind of business. When you don't have credit, um, like, what was that initial feeling for you? Like, wait a minute, I want to do these things, but I don't have the credit. Uh like, what is the emotion? What are the feelings that go through a person? 
Well, you know, it's kind of like a catch-22, you know. You need a credit, but you can't get a job. So it's like, well, you know, what do I do? And that's when I decided, well, i got to work for free. I just have to, I just have, because nobody, here's the thing. You don't have to tell somebody that you work for free. You just can put the credit on your resume and, you know, they'll assume that you got paid. Right, right. Okay. That's, I think that's good advice because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, I've been in those situations where it's like, yeah, but I didn't get paid for things. And, but having done the work actually speaks volumes, if I'm hearing you correctly. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that, that's what's important. And, of course, too, what happens in our business is when you work on a production, you're working with, you know, 50 to could be well over 100 people. So when that show ends, they all scatter to other shows. And if you did a good job, they'll pull you along with them and recommend you for work. Right. That makes sense. I love it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm catching the picture. Okay. So now you, you, you got some creds earned. You, you worked on a, a, you said a low budget production. Then what? Well, then, just like I said, through meeting people and what have you, I became a, an art department coordinator on an HBO series called First and Ten. And that was a great gig because it went on for, oh, you know, I think almost a year, I think we were on that. So it was nice, steady employment. The pay was good. Um, and... And the best part is I met my husband, who was, <laughs> he was the construction coordinator. So we worked together for months, and we were one of those onset romances that lasted. Oh, I love that lasted. Okay, so <laughs> let's, let's just go there really quickly. Like, why do you think it's lasted? Well, you know, we've been, we'll be celebrating 29 years of marriage in December. 29? Congratulations. 29, and I can't believe it. Um, you know, I think it's lasted because we, we uh, share the commonality of the TV and film business. He's, he's a storyboard artist, and in fact, he's worked as the storyboard artist on the entire ninth season of The Walking Dead. Wow. His name's Mark Simon, and now he's storyboarding for the TV show Dynasty right now. Okay. So we share that. We understand the business. We love the business. You know, we talk the same language. Right. We also create content together, animations. We love kids' shows. So, Fun. You know, I'm. We are very good collaborators. We own businesses together. We raised a 19-year-old twin boys together. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So a whole lot of collaboration, and I think for us, the main thing is we trust each other. We make each other laugh, and we really love what we do. So it just makes it just makes everything work for us. Right. So what happens in those moments um, when uh, you know the collaboration may feel a little bit stickier? You you've got an idea and he's got an idea. Or you come up against just some uh, disagreements and you know because let's get real, we're all human and you have those things. How do you how do you guys work through those? Well, okay. Let's say that Mark and I disagree on a concept. For a show something like that and that does happen you know I'll think it should be one way and he thinks it should be another way well our rule is if you can argue well enough like support your case well enough to get the other one to change their mind that's the person that wins that argument <laughs> so you have to be a good debater in our house <laughs> um, and then we will also defer to each other depending on expertise. Gotcha. So here's what I mean by that. So I'm a writer by education and trade. So if it comes down to a writing question and I, you know, I can like again support my argument, we'll typically go with my suggestion. 
Whereas if it's something about character design, art design, things like that, that's Mark, that's Mark's forte. We're, you know, we're typically going to go with his uh, suggestion. So, you know, we respect each other's experience. Gotcha. I love that. Um, sometimes I think we, we tend to forget the strengths of our, of our person. We want them to do it our way <laughs> because it's mm -hmm. the way that we know. And so I really appreciate that, that you, you know, you, you say this actually is your area and I could learn a few things or just turn it over to you. And that's, I love that. Um, I'm making some notes here. Making, like respecting each other's strengths is powerful. So tell us about tell us about raising your kiddos. You said you have 19 year old twin boys. Yep, they're identical twins. They are our only children. I wanted to. I got to. I'm very efficient. I'm a producer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when they were young, I mean, when I say identical, they look exactly alike. People. Cannot tell the difference. Oh, can you can you tell the difference? Like, do they have one or two things that you're like, yeah, you can't fool me? Well, when they have their hair cut the same way, even I have a hard time. I have to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so I imagine they've tried to pull over a few goodies on you. Our kids are so fiercely independent, they do not do that. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yep, they don't ever want to be mixed up. That is really cool, really cool. I have uh, I have siblings that are twins, but they're have brother and a sister, so they can never pull that on us. But it's been fun to watch their relationship with each other growing up and, and how close they are. And um, do your boys have that? Even though they're independent, do they do they have that bond? They do. They enjoy the same video games and movies. Plus, they're very good tennis players. And all throughout high school, they were a doubles team. Oh, wow. And they were good. I mean, they're, they're good players. So they do share that. That's My mind just was like, oh, it'd be tricky to be the other side because I think you're always seeing double. Huh. Bad joke. I know, but I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You can't help yourself. Yeah, I'm like, I couldn't. <laughs> Um, really cool. So what were some of the fun parts or what are some of the fun parts of being a mom for you? And also, you know, how does that, how does that mix in with, with your job of being a writer, producer? Well, when my guys were, I think they were only three. So I would read a book to them every night and I guess they got bored with the book and they would say, mom, tell us a story with your mouth. Oh wow! And what what they were what they were asking for is for me to make it up, you know, right. make up a story. So I started making up these stories about twin boys. Guess who my inspiration was? Of course, huh. that, that's and, a hard one. <laughs> and they would turn into like crime fighting ninjas, and you know, escape through the doggy door, which we had, and go into the neighborhood and thwart all the bad guys. Oh, I love it. So I told, I don't know, I told scores of these stories. And I finally said to my husband, you know what? I think we've got an animated idea here. I was just about to say, please tell me. With the work that you do, that you that you made this into either a book or a story or something. Well, we 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 um, developed it into an animated television television show called Luke and Re Saves the World. Luke and, and say the name again. Luke and Luke and Reese R E E C E Save the World. Awesome. So we had a fantastic time working on that together. And were your, what was the involvement of your boys while you were doing that, other than just, like, probably on top of the world that um, our parents are doing this and they love the concept because they're twins? Well, we, we actually did uh, a, an animated, or it's really an animatic, which is animatics are really like storyboards with some limited motion. So it's not like animation you see on television that's full color and, you know, beautifully done. This was black and white and kind of rougher, but we involved the boys in that they got to do their own voices. Oh, how, 
How fun. And how old were they at this time? Well, by that time, they were probably five. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I played the mom. And I think Mark played two of the bad guys. And so it was a whole family thing. And it was really fun. Okay. My heart is like, just like so pounding out of my, out of my chest with excitement because I have a small moment where, um, when my kids were young, so I have two daughters, they're 20 and 22 when they were five and my oldest was five, I was recording some music in a, in a studio and, and it was about kids. And, and I thought, wait a minute, I want my daughter to sing part of this with me. And I'll never forget like being in that studio singing my part and then looking over and seeing my five-year-old with the headphones on and, and just like standing there so proud seeing her little part and how amazing it was. And so as I'm hearing you talk, I just, that one small moment and then seeing like the imagination in my own mind of what this would have been like for you and your family. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. Oh yeah. So fun and something, you know, so unique to share with them. Right. Right. And, and really great, I would imagine, really great learning experiences as well. So, so many different aspects and things that could be taught there. How long did this show, like, did this process go on for you guys? Well, it took us a while. Developing a TV show takes some time. Right. And, of course, we had other things going on, too. The kids were little. We were both working full time. So it probably took us in total, you know, I think two years. Wow. And and during that time, from the time the kids were about three till I'd say eight, they were also actors. Okay. So and here's here's why productions love twins. So by law, kids and the younger they are, you know, the let the fewer hours they can work in a day. Right. I, I do recall this. Right. So when when a kid is like four, I think they can only work something like two hours a day. It's not much. Yeah, and two hours on a production crew goes fast. It's like, oh yeah, that's nothing. So they would hire my kids because they could use them as the same kid and double their time. (laughs) So they did so much stuff. They did Disney ads, Universal ads. Uh, they were in Harcourt Brace textbooks. Wow. Um, oh, Florida Power and Light. I mean, I kind of lose track, but they were very busy for four or five years there. Well, and did they did they like it? Did they did they feel like they were working, or was this something that was just like play and fun for them? Well, we always kept it. I never put any pressure on them when they went to an audition. You know, my attitude was, if you get it, great. If you don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. So consequently, they were very carefree, and I think that's why they got cast a lot. Because they were able to be natural in their flow, authentic, just who they are. Exactly. You know, I would barely comb their hair. They just (laughs) went in. (laughs) Can you imagine if we showed up, like, as adults, just like... (laughs) As ourselves, just after playing tennis for four hours, yeah. and just go up and like, hey, here we are for our audition. Yeah, I don't think it's just, it's not as charming. Dang it! <laughs> oh my gosh, that's just fantastic. I will tell you though, just a quick funny story. So, I wanted the guys to equate money, you know, work and money, and you know, whatever reward for your time, right? So whenever they did a job, I'd always give them $5. So You um, paid them on top of what they got paid from the company. Well, the, the company would pay me. I would put it into their college fund. Gotcha. Okay. And then I'd always give them, though, $5 cash so they understood. You know, they linked their effort with payment. Right. So my one son, though, got a little wise or something to what was going on. <laughs> so after what, and, and by the way, when, when kids are in a studio or being shot, the parents are never around because they only want the kid paying attention to the director and not the parent. Right. So I was never in the studio. Well, after one of the shoots, and this was for uh, the textbook company, Harcourt Grace, 
my son pulled the director aside and said, do you know how much I'm getting paid? And he said, yes, you're getting paid $50. Well, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not. My son bolts out of the studio and runs up to me and goes, mom, I'm getting paid $50. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, the gig is up. It's over. Exactly. Boy, did he catch me, you know? Right. And so, so what was that conversation after that? Well, I had to explain about when you make money, you have to save part of it. And this is, I'm putting it into your college fund and, you know, that kind of thing. And I gave him his $5. He did not get $50. <laughs> what would a five-year-old do anyway with $50? Right. right. Legos. Lots of Legos. Right. And of course, the happy news is that money was put away when he was three or four. And here he is, you know, what is that, 15 years later? Boy, is he happy he has that money now. Right. Right. I love, I love that. Um, again, I, I had an opportunity to be an extra in a movie with my kids. And, and I, I love that we're, we have these little commonalities here because they were eight and um, I think nine at the time. And I opened up special bank accounts for them and they started learning, you know, the whole money concepts and put that money in there and they still use those accounts today. And what a cool thing for, for little ones. And so if, if, uh, you know, if you have people out there listening or people out there listening, if you have little ones, um, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea to start them out when they're earning some money and helping them learn those concepts and opening their accounts young. And, um, I love that you, that you do that for your kids. What would you recommend Jeannie for other parents who, you know, who are wanting to teach their kids about fiscal responsibility at a young age, would you recommend starting an account? Do you, do you, did you pay your kids for tour? I mean, they have these other jobs, but what, what would you recommend for just those people listening to us? Yeah, I mean, the guys, they got an allowance starting, I think, when they were maybe six, something like that. Okay. And, and... And they, you know, they did have chores around the house. So, you know, they, they had to do something for it. And then as they got older, let's see, I think they were sophomores in college. They each got a job. So, boy, was that a incredibly important experience for them. Luke worked at Universal Studios um, in food service. And learned that people at the parks, you know, you think they're going to be really happy. Well, for some reason, some people are not so happy. And boy, did he get yelled at by some of the tourists. Wow. And he couldn't yell back. He couldn't walk away. He had to be polite. No, he could be firm, but right. he had to be polite. And he, you know, he learned about customer service and um, sometimes how nasty people can be to workers. Right. And and so for those of you listening, just, you know, heads up, these are just everyday people doing their jobs, and it's nice to be nice. Yeah, exactly, you know. Um, and then my other son worked in retail, and again, you know, kind of learned how to deal with the public, learned that he did not want to be a salesman. He really wasn't comfortable in that aspect. So that was important, you know, sales is not for everybody. Right. And so do, um, do either of them have aspirations to be actors or in the TV business at this point, or is that kind of a closed chapter for them? Well, you know, here we have all the connections and knowledge in the world, and neither one of them wants to be in our business. Gotcha. So, and that's okay with us. We, we're cool with that. Uh, one, my one son wants to be a mechanical engineer. Wow. And the other is uh, pursuing a business degree because he, he's not really sure about what he wants to do, but he just feels that he does like business, he does like marketing, so he's, he's exploring that, and I think college is the perfect place for that. Yeah, absolutely. And so it sounds like your, your experience of being a parent while being writers and producers and all that actually was a really good blend. And it sounds like you've got well-adjusted kids who, you know, have their own aspirations and you've given them permission to do that. And I just think it's so beautiful. 
Yeah, um, yeah, we're very close with them, and they love being away at college, and they love their independence, which is the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good job, mom. <laughs> oh, thank you. Kudos to you, and and like I would love to see Luke and Reese save the world. <laughs> if there's a Me place too. that we can do that, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> So thank you for sharing that little bit of information, just like inside of, of momhood and, and how that worked for you to be um, working and parenting at the same time. And I love that you got to bring your family to it. But let's talk a little bit about as you're going through the, through, um, the, the different stages of your career and, and development into where you're at now, what were some of the obstacles in the business or personal, personal obstacles that you ran into that, you know, maybe were just like, I don't. I don't know what I want to do next, or I'm not sure how to overcome this one, and, and maybe some of the steps that you took to get past those things and continue um, being amazing at what you do. Well, as you probably know, if you keep up with the news, there's the whole Me Too movement, and it's it's really shown a spotlight on our business in that women are not uh, equally represented, especially in higher levels directing, produ producing. There's more uh, female producers than directors, certainly. But that was probably one of my issues coming up was um, kind of having to be, you know, twice as good as the male I was competing against for a job. Oh, wow. So, you know, I had to fight for those jobs and for those promotions because I was freelance. When I worked at Nickelodeon at, in Orlando, you know, there was not a clear path for me. I wasn't, it wasn't like I was on staff and I had a boss saying, oh, you know, why don't you think about moving up? Or there was no one coaching me or giving me those opportunities. So I had to fight for those. And, you know, sometimes that's uncomfortable, but no one was going to hand it to me. Right. Right. And so how did, how did you stay, how did you stay motivated? What tools did you implement to keep yourself um, you know, razor sharp and focused and always moving forward and willing to take the steps needed to get what you wanted? Well, I think I'm just a naturally competitive person. So, um, you know, and, and kind of coupled with that is just ambition. I always wanted to keep moving up with each show. I wanted the next higher position or fight for that raise or, and, and part of it too is my husband. He's a really good coach and supporter of me. So when I would get stuck or I would get fearful, I would talk it through with him and talk about, you know, what do I want to do? Who do I need to approach? How much money do I want to ask for? So that, you know, having him in the same business was just crucial for me. And so for, for those who are listening who may have aspirations, again, whether it's in the TV business or, or elsewhere, who might not have a spouse or someone really close to them to talk it through and, you know, have, have a sounding board coming outside of their own head, what kinds of things would you recommend for them? Well, I'm a big believer in mentors. So, yeah, and I actually did. I had a really good mentor in Mitchell Kriegman. And he was the creator and the producer and writer of Clarissa Explains It All at Nickelodeon. Okay. So he was really good for me. He, you know, very aggressive producer who stood his ground. And he was very loyal to his, to the people on his team. So through him, I really advanced up the, up the on the producer side uh, pretty quickly. And it's one of those things, you know, when someone does that, helps you like that, you'll do anything for them. I mean, you do not, you want, you want to make them look good. You want them to be pleased what you're doing with what you're doing. You want the production to go well. So, I mean, I busted my butt day in and day out, but it was a great show and working for him was very gratifying. I love that. So, so as you're developing, it's kind of like making sure, like you said, making sure he looks good, but also that you're applying the things that he's now taught you and really starting to hone in your skills and, and make them the best that you can make them with the information he's given you. Does that sound That's right? That's right. Yep. I love it. So this thought came into my mind. Um, 
about, as you're talking about, you want to do anything for them. Um, it's and maybe a little bit on the darker side of things is like, you know, um, how, how does a person do what you just talked of, uh, where we talked about um, making them look good while you're honing your skills and doing whatever you can for them without being taken advantage of? Yeah, well, that's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and see, I had to be careful because even though he was the producer of a show, Nickelodeon, of course, was my employer. Okay. And at times, Mitchell may have wanted me to do something that Nickelodeon would not have wanted me to do. Oh, okay. So, you know, I had to, I had some tricky waters to navigate there. Yeah, and how did how did you do that? And with um, with keeping your integrity and yet taking care of both entities, right? Well, of course, I you know I had my supervisor at Nickelodeon, and I had to. You have to keep communication open. You have to let them know what's going on, because if there's anything a network doesn't like, it surprises. Okay. You know. They want to know that their show is going to be produced on time, on budget, of the quality they expect. They don't want any legal issues. They don't want any HR problems. They don't want any problems. And as producer, that was one of my jobs. That's really, producers, really all we do is put out fires. I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, we set up everything, but we, you know, we're constantly thinking of what can go wrong. We're we're sort of like, I mean, as a person, I'm an optimist, but as a producer, my glass always has to be half empty because I'm, I'm a problem mitigator. Right. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like thinking through like what could go wrong. And if it does go wrong, here's some solutions for it. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge part of my job. Okay. Yep. That's, that's kind of a big deal. Be, being able to like, think spatially like that and like what are all these things and I, and I would imagine having so much experience under your belt has made that part of your job much easier but I like that like the when you said keep open communications so what a beautiful simple yet can be difficult thing to do <laughs> yeah exactly. um, but it's key yes very much yeah. so very cool. Okay, so um, what are some of the other things that you may have bumped up into besides the, the kind of like me too, having to work harder, uh, twice as hard, you know, you said be twice as good as, as the guys in order to get jobs. Um, what were some of those other things that you may have bumped into that that you've learned some, some powerful skills from? Well, you know, another one of the challenges working in, especially in kids' television, is dealing with the parents of the of the kid actors. Okay. <laughs> yes. You know, because they've got their own things going on. Some parents want to hover. You know, they've got control issues, so they want to hover over their kids, and we just can't have that in the production. Right. So part of my job is to win their trust, put them at ease, and and then with other parents. They get, you know, we call them like like line counters. They count the lines in the script that their kid had right. has versus the other kid, and there's that kind of jealousy dynamic that goes on. Yes, I used to you coach, know. and that how many minutes did my kid play compared to somebody else's? Yes, yes. I understand that in a different way. <laughs> That's It's the same dynamic. So, you know, then, of course, they come to me, you know, why this, why that? And I'm like, I have nothing to do with that. I'm not writing the script. But it's still my job to keep them happy because if the parents aren't happy, then that translates to the kids. Then the kids come on set and they're anxious or unhappy or, you know, whatever. It's not a happy set. Right. What were some of the tools that you instigated or used to help win the trust of parents and let them know that you you have their kids best interest in mind that you're taking care of them that they can just sit back and breathe easy how did you do that well you know once again always being open to a discussion hearing them out because many times as as long as i gave them uh time with me to air their worries air their fears you know whatever it was sometimes just even after saying it to me, 
you could tell just by their body and their face, they felt better. So, yes. Yeah, so as, I, as I'm hearing you speak this, this concept keeps coming to my mind that it is so important for us as human beings, just in general, to be seen and to be heard. Yeah. And having those two simple things, you know, whatever the situation seems to just, like you say, build that trust and put it ease. like, wait a minute, somebody cared about me. And I love that you just said that. And what a powerful tool. Right. And, you know, every once in a while there was, you know, something would come up that was a very legitimate concern and something had to be done. So I would make sure that we would rectify the situation. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, but, um, you know, make sure that I rectified the situation and reported back. Ah, important. To re- yeah, that, that last step is real important. In your opinion, what do you think that reporting back does for a person? Well, one, you, you're showing them that something happened, that you heard them, you made something happen for them, and two, it's verification. So it kind of like closes the cycle. Because if you don't report back, they never know what happened. And they, you know, it, they're still upset about it. Right. So when you take that, again, this that extra few moments to verify and validate. Right. To maintain that trust. I love it. I love it. So talk to us really quickly about what, uh, what some of the your funnest moments of working with kids are like, what, why do you like working with kids? You know, kids are funny. <laughs> They're really, you know, no one ever told me how funny it was raising kids. They're hilarious. Yes. And unpredictable. And, you know, you get the, that moment, those moments of like lightning in a bottle. You know, you could never script it. You, you can't even think of it. And they'll just, do something or say something that's priceless. So I like that part of it. Lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, kids, you know, they're just so innocent and, and unselfconscious that it's just it's just charming and fun and, and I get energy from it. Absolutely. I love for me, I love that it touches those parts of me that are still kid-like. Um, I tell people I'm never going to grow up. <laughs> yeah. And so the opportunity for to work with kids for me just allows me to get back down into a place where we can be more free and if we allow ourselves to. You know, I, I love that part that, like you said, they're, they're funny and if we listen to them, so many lessons and things can be learned from them. I love that you brought that out, the lightning and again, the lightning in the bottle and you got to pay attention to catch it. Right. So what, on the, on the flip side, what are some of the things that make it tough to work with kids? Well, when kids get tired, that's terrible. Yes. <laughs> you know, or, you know, so television is famous for, we'll do a scene and it'll be perfect. Like, it'll be great. But there was, it may be something missing that the director wants or the producer wants. So they'll go like this. Perfect. Do it again. Well, kids have a low tolerance for that kind of thing. Um, Repetition for them gets boring. You know, they don't get it. They're like, well, if I did it perfect, why do I have to do it again? Right. So, you know, consequently, like on Clarissa, no lie, sometimes we would do the same scene 15 times. Wow. It was very difficult for all of us. But they, you know, they were looking for something. Right. And do you find that that in these moments that kids, um, are they able to maintain, uh, what's, I can't think of the word, um, the integrity of the scene and their own um, keeping their attitudes up? Or do you find that they start becoming deflated and maybe starting to create some beliefs that maybe aren't true about what they're doing? You know, never Clarissa or, you know, Melissa Joan Hart played Clarissa. She never was like that. She could all, she had the wherewithal to keep her energy up. I really, honestly, I don't know how she did it. She was only like, you know, 15, 16. Right. So she was phenomenal. However, the uh, guy, the young man, 
or the boy that played her little brother, he had a much harder time. You could just see his energy like rock. So we would take a short break, get him something to drink. Um, we had one director who would feed him M&Ms. <laughs> I don't recommend it, but it got us through a couple takes. Yeah, a little bribery now and again doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know, a little sugar fix got us through. But you kind of have to figure out what the kid needs to move forward because we had to get it. I mean, there's, you know, in television, every single minute is expensive because not only do you have the cast out there, you've got a crew of, you know, 50, 30 to 50 people and it's tick tock, you know, time is money. Right, right. So we had to make it work one way or the other. And, and we always did. You know, sometimes it was trying, but we always did. I love it. Well, and, you know, being on this end of it and watching what goes on, you just have no idea what actually goes on behind the scenes or how many times they've done something. Or, you know, that, that little four days we had doing the extra, I was, I was blown away by all the mechanics and nuances and ins and outs of what goes on and, and sort of I I would you know to be able to know that you do this day in and day out and have done I, I love I love that you've learned these lessons and that you can share these with other people and that you know that it just it really just depends on the kid and their own personality and, and their own experiences and how they're going to behave that's really cool so with all of that experience let's kind of move to the like the next section of this is you now work with all these shows, all, you know, all these different people, and and where you're at now is how do you take all of that and help other people who are wanting to get into the business? Well, so I've got production experience in many different genres, so kids' television, obviously, documentaries, reality shows. So I oh game shows, I forgot that. <laughs> so, you know, I know how a lot of different shows are produced. So I can look at shows as a producer, but I also look at shows as a buyer would. Not that I've ever purchased shows. I haven't been on that side of the business, but my husband and I, we have sold a number of shows and we go to conferences all year long and we're meeting with people who buy shows and we're constantly asking them, what are you looking for? How do you like to be pitched? What about this? Should people do a pilot? Should... And now the business is kind of like the wild, wild west, honestly. There are so many different distributors out there. You still have the major main networks like ABC, NBC. Then you have all the cable networks. So, you know, AMC, Comedy Central, USA, all of those, and you also have the big streaming giants now, like Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, right. who in many cases spend more money per episode than the majors. So that's, we've seen a pretty seismic shift here in the past five years. So with that said, when I work with people and I look at a concept, one of the things I'm looking at is where does a concept like this fit? Like, is this a good fit for Netflix? Because the show has to be developed in a certain way for them versus is this a good show for, say, ABC? Gotcha. You know, and again, a little different development process there. Yeah, so you're able to, when people come to you with their ideas, you're able to say, you know, I think this would fit well over here because you know, like you say, the nuances and the ins and outs of what the different companies want. Instead of just, you know, throwing it to the wind, you, you can give them direction. From here exactly. Right. And sometimes I work with some clients and we'll develop the main concept, but we'll maybe do two slightly different versions so they can pitch it to more people, more buyers. Okay. And, and so doing that two different versions, you, you shift the story enough that it is intriguing to what someone else may want. Is, am I hearing you correctly? So it can be, well, it can be story, but it's also maturity. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is, so for HBO, 
you can have mature language, you can have mature sex scenes or violence, you know, basically on HBO, anything goes, honestly. Right. You know, whereas on, say, NBC or CBS, certainly, their shows are also becoming more mature or adult in that way, but not nearly. You're not going to see the same content on CBS that you're going to see on HBO. Gotcha. And so when a person has an idea, what is it that they need to have prepared before they contact you? Really, they just need a show summary. So something in a summary, if, if it's just a page long, that's fine with me. I just want to understand who are the main characters and what's the overall story. That's enough for me to tell people this is an idea that merits further development or it's not. You know, and that can be for any number of reasons from legal to it's just too derivative. Gotcha. Um, you know, television, television honestly loves something that's familiar with a new twist. Ah, gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I haven't, I actually don't watch TV. <laughs> I see Netflix. What? I know. I know for like 10 years. <laughs> However, I, I do Netflix and so I, I have seen shows and it's, it's fun to look back and go, oh, you know, it's just good when I need just like dead space. And it's fun to see how TV has developed over the years. And, you know, I look back at shows from the 80s and shows that happen now. And it's intriguing to me. I find it fascinating. Okay, so how would a person get a hold of you? If someone's like, okay, I have a summary. I have this idea. I've got my, you know, main characters developed out. How do they get a hold of you? Dude? So here's, here's the best thing to do. Go to my website which is sell, S-E-L-L, your TV I've got videos on there and I've got a, a great FAQ section, which is going to answer a lot about the way I work with people. Awesome. Okay. You can also, on my website, you can request a complimentary session with me. Right. And that, yeah, that's just a great way to get started. So I can talk to you by phone and I can't hear details about your show, but because I would need a submission release form from you to do that. Okay. But we can talk about what you've done for your show and I can help you with what your next couple steps might be. That's awesome. So you could teach somebody or inform them for people who may not understand or know the process of you've got to have a submission release form. That's something that you can talk about in this brief phone call meeting. Yes, no? Oh, sure, yeah. And a submission release form is absolutely standard in our business. When you pitch to any buyer, at some point, you are going to sign a submission release form. That is that is business as usual. Very cool. So, so for those of you who don't know what that is, we're not going to go into that right here. Uh, you can either Google it. <laughs> Or better yet, just get, a, get in contact with Jeannie and she can help you understand that better. I have actually gone onto your website, Jeannie, and I love it. I don't even know that much about it. And I was intrigued and I was clicking on things. And I loved I loved the one sheet page. And um, mm. that was really fun for me to see all those and, and uh, that little bit of learning. And so those of you who are listening, the website, sellyourconceptnow.com, and that's S-E-L-L your concept now we'll put that on in the notes um, Wait a minute, you left out tv so sell your tv concept sell, now yes yeah sell your tv concept now. right .com. it's a great website uh you get to see some pictures of Jeannie and her husband and uh just lots and lots of information i barely browsed it and was just like oh wow so much good stuff um, and then, again, on there, you can request a session, a phone call with Jeannie, where you can get more information. As you can tell, she's really pleasant to talk with. My first call with her, honestly, Jeannie, I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> oh! Just, just because, you know, I, I tend, I can be a little bit shy, so for people to, uh, you know, to get that. But she was so pleasant on that first call. And, and I would encourage those of you who are interested in, in developing a TV show or, or dreams that way to to step past that little bit of fear and embrace it and make that request of a call. Uh, I think 
I don't think I know that you'll find your experience um, a good one and that Jeannie will put you on a really good path. And uh, she's got connections galore, so you may as well take advantage of those as well. So Jeannie, anything else that way that you would want people to know? Well, another good first step with people is my, it's my online TV pitch kit. Yes. Yeah, and now this is a do-it-yourself kit, and it's basically divided up into three sections. There'll be the development section, where you're going to learn how to develop your characters and your episodes correctly. Now, this also, by the way, is useful if you have a sitcom or a drama or a reality show. If you have a reality show, you have to think in terms of characters, and we explain that, so it's very important. So this is the do-it-yourself TV pitch kit. Yes, TV pitch kit. And if you do, if someone out there does decide to buy one, it's only two hundred dollars. You get free updates for life. I'm updating the content periodically. Very nice. And you're always getting fresh material. Right. And when you check out, there says you know apply code. Just put the word courage in there. I love See, that. Yeah, courage. And then that way I'll know that, you know, you heard about it on this podcast. So awesome. So I don't know if you guys caught that. This is the do-it-yourself TV pitch kit. Uh, she's going to show you how to how to apply the lessons to all the different types of shows. And it's updated for life. And you get that information all for $200. <laughs> That's like, a, you know, a fit in the bucket. To yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's a really great deal. Great deal, and gives you access again to to the information that Jeannie has, and what a, a powerful way to get started. You can use the code Courage uh, at your checkout to for the Do It Yourself TV Pitch Kit. Oh my gosh, Jeannie, this has been awesome. I have one last question for you. Yeah, let me just add that there's never been a better time in the history of television to have an idea for a TV show now. I'm saying that, and it is absolutely self-serving. However, <laughs> the, uh, the vice president of DreamWorks Animation said those exact words at a conference. Wow. So, so never a better time than now to have an idea for No. And the reason why is look at all the buyers, and they are like content-eating machines. So they need new ideas. They need people coming to them with ideas outside of Hollywood. Not that there's anything wrong with Hollywood. It's just they keep hearing the same ideas like over and over and over. So they're looking for people who live in different places, who have different experiences. So be heartened. You know, some of you may live in Kansas or, you know, me from St. Louis. They want to hear from us as long as you have made the effort to take your idea and develop it into a TV show. They are not going to do that for you. They'll help you, but you have to come to them and have your characters develop, understand how your show works, what's going to be seen on TV. Those are key elements you must have and that's why I have clients, because I help them do that. I love, love, love that. So if you're listening and you have all of these thoughts and ideas running through your head about wanting to create a TV show and just not sure how to do it, or you're just kind of sitting behind a little bit of fear, Jeannie and I are encouraging you right now, again, that now is, there's not a better time than now to get those ideas out there, because what did she say? People are con right now. Those uh, they're content eating machines, and they're ready and waiting for your ideas. Um, turn and face the fear that that you're experiencing. Get a hold of Jeannie on SellYourTVConceptNow.com. Head out there and purchase the Do It Yourself TV Pitch Kit, guys. It's only two hundred dollars, and you're going to get so much information to help get you started down the path to having your own TV show. And then again, you also have access to Jeannie. Uh, you can request a session with her again for more information. Oh my gosh, get out there and dream. Embrace the adventure. Be courageous. 
And oh, speaking of courageous, when you purchase that kit, use the word courage at checkout so that we know that you heard about it right here on the Living Courage Slate Tales podcast. So Jeannie, as we finish this up, uh, my last question to you is, what are the three lessons that you encourage people to live by, yourself included? To approach things, like whenever I approach, especially something that's new, whether it's, I'll give you an example. So I moved into Atlanta. When I moved into, well, we're in Fayetteville, south of Atlanta, I thought, oh, I want to do something different with my office. So, you know, I'm running through the, oh, I'll paint the room. Okay, well, that's ordinary, kind of boring. I'll wallpaper. All right. I wasn't satisfied with that. So I just did some digging online, and I ended up finding this amazing company that has murals. (laughs) So I bought a mural of an Italian street scene where it's like you know the quaint old stone buildings with a red canopy chairs on the street and planters and everything and I feel like I'm in the south of Italy when I come into my office you know so you know what does that boil down to don't I don't accept like my first few ideas I'm like no I can do better than that I can come up with something different, more unique than that. And I do force my clients to do that too with their television show. You know, forcing them to come up with that fresh twist or that really unique, interesting character. Okay, so boiling that down, it's like approach new things with curiosity and and don't just accept the first couple of ideas that come into your mind. Right. Okay, very cool. Uh, Number two. Okay, number two. Well, you know, it's worth it to push to get into some creative business or creative hobby or, or whatever. Um, you know, I'm lucky in that I got into television and film and I can make a living at it. I mean, my husband and I would make a good living at it. And honestly, we love every minute of it. Yes, there are some things or problems, with, you know, that come up, but it's so worth it to follow that impulse that you want to be in a certain business or you know follow that creative path because my husband literally he loves working on the walking dead so much i swear he gets up in the morning like skips he can't <laughs> wait to get to work <laughs> that's fantastic but it doesn't yeah. sound like work it's not work no yeah Really great. I love that. And the third one. So the third one is every morning I do take time for myself. I typically get up first, the house is quiet, and I do journal. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So often for me, something will come up in journaling, either an idea for something, or if I can't, like if there's a problem with anything, really, it could be accounting, or it could be, you know, something boring like that, the answer will come to me in that, in those morning hours, and maybe it's because it's early, and I haven't gotten caught up, you know, like in the rest of the day. Right, right. But I think that's, Gosh, I think that's important for anybody, you know, whether you're being creative or not. I think those those precious moments make a big difference. I think you tap into things and you can hear things that you normally wouldn't. I fully agree with you. And that's that's one thing that I do for myself as well and that I encourage other people to do is, you know, that first 30 minutes or 60 minutes of the day, give it to yourself. And if you've got to get up a little bit earlier to do that, then it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it to, to make that push and, and to find what your routine is. My, you know, mine is uh, breathing and exercising and uh, some meditation. I love the idea of journaling in the morning. when we're really, Like you say, when we're really fresh and no one else wants our time yet and we can get that full energy to, to hearing our hearts and our own intuition. And so I think that's really sage advice and I appreciate you saying that. Um, anything else before we end up? No, other than to say it's been really fun chatting with you and you are an excellent interviewer. 
Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I actually appreciate you saying that because I, uh, that is one thing that, um, it's part of the reason I started this podcast was one, I just had the thought and the idea and I wanted to give voice to people's stories and, and also platform for, you know, to help other people help other people. And for me to stretch myself by talking to people I don't know and learning how to interview. So I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot to me. And so with that, folks, we're going to end another episode of Living Courageously Exposed, where we get to give you a voice for your story and to let you know that your story is important. And if you have liked any part of today's episode, I invite you to share it with just two people and can help us continue to bring you great content and other great people's stories. With that, we're going to end like we always do and say, believe in yourself or no one else can. Go be great.